Yo, what's up? It's your girl DJ Narc. What's going on? It's just me. <laughs> I'm rolling a joint and I have some iced coffee here. And apparently the coronavirus is going to kill us all. And Pluto and Venus are just really, really fucking with each other today. It is leap day. Welcome. Welcome back. <laughs> Yo, I have very little weed left and I'm going to roll it while we speak and then I'm going to smoke it and hopefully by the time I'm done smoking it, our broadcast will be interrupted by the plug showing up. We can only hope. All right. Where do we start? <laughs> A long time ago, before I did the podcast, I was putting up uh, what I was calling audioscapes or like a spoken word on YouTube most of them I took down. The only one that's left up is Manifestation in the Divine Feminine. There's another one called Stop, Don't Shoot. And I've been really debating to make, whether or not to make it public again. Um, I think you'd really like it. Another one that I did at that same time uh, was called Tilt It Back. I also have that one. And another one is called Coconuts. And Coconuts uh, was about my experiences within the tri-state area, South Asian, uh, Indian Hindu community that I was exposed to uh, through dating someone who was a part of that scene. In that particular spoken word piece, I go in depth into what makes and uh, uh, what foments this hate for any anyone other uh within that within that world there is a mix of capitalism and the caste system that is incredibly dangerous and it leads to a it leads to an ideology of elitism that is far beyond anything i think that the white 1% the whites could think of uh, because at least within the within the whites, let's just say that uh, within the white elite, there is or the power elite, as they're called sociologically, um, there is, of course, this need, this voracious, you know, need for money and 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 to uh, the accumulation of wealth. Cool, but for the most part, from that ethos, you're missing the addition of you know this is all warranted by god this is all okay because god says it is that dimension adds something so vicious to elitism which is already quite vicious and it makes possible uh what you see now happening for example in delhi uh the fact that there is instagrammable footage that you can watch of hundreds of people beating one man to death. And there's many, many, many instances of this video that you can, uh, of this occurrence that you can watch that happened all over Delhi. That is the direct result of two things. One, it's the Western fetishization. Mm -mm. Drink something, please of a religion that is steeped in racism and 
allows for insane inhumanity, poverty, uh, rape, degradation. There is an excusing away of anything that comes under the umbrella of the mystic India for the whites. And that need to fetishize has led us as a culture otherwise very keen on, you know, uh, caring about people's rights and dogs' rights and birds' rights and seals' rights, et cetera, et cetera. That same population that should care, you know, for example, that, that there are uh, streets full of elderly women who are kicked out of their homes when their husbands die. That gang rape is so much more prevalent than is even reported. That the killing of Muslims, actually now that it's being highlighted because it's you know getting extreme, they're ripping off crescent moons off of mosques, burning down mosques, etc. But the killing of Muslims has become pretty commonplace. So all of that, including, let's say, the sale, the rape of children, the sale of children for their organs, I mean, it just goes on and on and on, right? All of that we turn a blind eye to because we like the idea of going somewhere and finding ourselves and how horrific that the place we often pick to go find ourselves is a place that if you actually found yourself there you would wake up screaming (laughs) right so really people don't go there to find themselves people go there to pretend It's like Disney World. So what happens when there are riots in Disney World? What happens when the day players at your favorite spiritual amusement park start taking matters into their own own hands and start murdering people? What do you do? And now I'm not just asking the whites. I'm asking all of us, the Americans specifically, what do you do? Right? We're the ones in the world that pride ourselves on this interventionist policy where we're, you know, championing human rights wherever, wherever they, you know, we, we, we seem to care for about a decade enormously about the Syrians. We, we were just so worried about them. Like, oh my God, do you even know what's going on in Syria? Oh my God, we have to do something. We have to do something. We have to do something. You know, France and Turkey are full of Syrians. No one seems to want to give them a place to live or food or shelter, but you know we're really worried about them. We're re- we don't care if they live, but we don't want them to die. This is often the argument with abortion as well. We don't want black people to live. We make that very obvious by the fact that we keep fucking killing them. But we don't want them to die either. The blanket no abortion thing includes black people too, right? We don't want any children to die. We just don't want them to live. And somewhere in between those two, you can figure out how to live your life. (laughs) Right? And of course, the answer is very simple. The reason that they don't care if you live, but they don't want you to die, is because you're a commodity. Right? We didn't care about Syria. We didn't care about Syrians. They were just a commodity in a war we wanted to fight. We wanted to fight a proxy war. And when it got away from us, we just kind of just went to war for the Syrians. You know, most Americans can't point out Syria on a map. 
let alone even know that it's his own country. Probably thought it was just another part of like a city in the Middle East somewhere, you know? But we were so worried. I mean, really. We were like really in our feelings. And that was just a little bit ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. This though. This will go unnoticed. This will go unchallenged. There will be no military response from any country whatsoever in response to what has happened in India. Because no country actually intervenes in another country's politics or in the goings-on of another country. Never. (laughs) Never. It's kind of wild considering what we've been taught all our lives, but it's just never been true. Wars are and have only ever been fought for profit, fomented through lies and uh, false, created, you know, contrived circumstances. Every single war you can think of has been fought uh, for the exact opposite reason that you're being told. It's for acquisition, not freedom. I think that's the thing that perhaps gave Rome its glory and gives us our shame. Rome was never trying to pretend to be free. Instead, it was an honor to become a part of Rome, to become a part of the the empire, to be a republic, right? It it wasn't... uh, you weren't you didn't have any qualms about what was happening or what you were getting into it was acquisition plain and simple but with a touch of honor because now you were enveloped in something um well in the in the biggest brightest thing in the world at the time we like to do the same thing but instead of bringing honor with us albeit at the edge of a sword we bring pillaging, theft, long-term economic slavery, but mainly just theft of natural resources. Because when it comes down to it, People getting killed in the street with cement blocks is probably a pretty good reason to send in someone to do something. So, that gives you some perspective on what you're dealing with. There is no war for peace, ever. It defies the definition. Never, never, never can you attain peace from war. Never. If anything, you radicalize anyone who's left and the war just comes back stronger. Worse than before. It's like that guy in that negotiation tape said. Tape. Do you hear me? Tape? Umber. The guy in the negotiation masterclass. The assertive voice never works. Doesn't matter what you're trying to get done. It just never works. Hmm. Anyway, so there's that. 
And then there's this corona thing. <sighs> yeah, let's talk about it. Why not? I mean, geez. There's so many people that are saying that it has nothing to do with the symptoms. They're saying that something else is causing corona and that once you get it, you get the flu. Some people are saying that it's technology-based. Some people are saying it's 5G-based. We do know that Wuhan was the test city for 5G in China. We do know that they turned it on the last day of October. And we do know that the first reported cases of it emerged on December 1st. We also know that there is a bio facility in Wuhan, the only one in China, that holds that contaminant level clearance. It's a level four, I think. And that coronavirus was very much uh, present in that facility and being researched, uh, we don't know for what. Perhaps they were already trying to work on a cure. <sighs> Perhaps, Perhaps turning on the 5G caused something that made them take whatever they found and take it into that lab and see if they could fix it before it ran rampant. Maybe we have it all backwards. We often do. The noise you're hearing is me rolling this joint. I'm sure you don't mind. If you got something, roll it, smoke it. Also drink something. So, what do I think? There was this one doctor, this Chinese doctor, who was talking about how there's no symptoms and that that's the biggest lie about the whole thing, that people are just dropping dead with no symptoms. And he just kept saying it over and over again. It's not about the symptoms. They're lying to you. They're lying to you. And for some reason... And maybe this is just my fault because I think I'm such a good judge of character. I believed him. He really looked like he was fed up with the lies and he looked terrified and he looked like he was 100% telling the truth. And it shook me because if it is 5G, there wouldn't be any symptoms. But in some people who have aggravated immune systems or some sort of respiratory issue already, it, I could see how it could exacerbate that because it's just killing your immune system. Excuse me, right? So, what do we do? Well, uh, the FDA made Organite illegal about a year ago, smoke something, fam. And Organite protects from radiation. So I suggest getting your hands on some. If you can, I have a couple of pieces that I've started wearing around my neck. I've had them for a long time. And my water charging tray is a Sri Yantra made of Organite as well. 
that's one thing. Miso uh, pulls radiation out of the body. That's another thing. It would be really beneficial for everyone to get their hands on some oregano oil and start taking it right away, just a few drops a day. Very important, of course, not to touch anything and not to touch anyone and try to keep yourself away from the peoples because I also have a feeling that once you get the flu from it, from the depressed immune system because of the 5G, it's the kind of flu that can pass very easily between people. And I don't, I, I, I'm not really sure there's a missing link there somewhere, but I think the two are definitely related. So, turning off your Wi-Fi before you go to bed, keeping your Wi-Fi off until you need it. It's a start, sounds crazy, but it's a start. <clears throat> Getting chlorine filters for your water. You know, if, you, if you're absorbing too many carcinogens and then they have radioactivity in the air, those two things are gonna come together, something awful. So there's that. I can put up a few posts about what chlorine filters work and you know which one you should get. I mean, not to be morbid, but it is the end of the end of the Kali Yuga, right? That's why the Age of Aquarius is starting because it's the darkest dark that will lead to the lightest light. But it makes you wonder, what are you doing here, fam? What the fuck are you doing here for the last of the last of the Kali Yuga? Answer me that. What the fuck are you doing here, fam? I think we know what we're doing here. I think we came back on purpose at this time because we are so, so, so deeply needed to bring the Age of Aquarius back, to tilt this thing back. So, a friend who is also Rev Fam slept in the same apartment with me while I was in Copenhagen and she saw in her dream, she is a Pisces and very, very, very good at traveling. She saw in her travels at night as she slept, millions of people lined up one by one walking up to me and I was sitting at a desk and I was telling them something very important and sending them away. When she told me of her travels and her dream, my blood ran cold because I knew what it was. And if I've told the story before, I'm sorry. Never would I have guessed that it wouldn't be war, but I knew that I was sitting there telling them that they were dead and that they needed to move along. But never did it occur to me that it would be through sickness because I didn't see it, she saw it. And I can only tell you what she told me and she didn't really describe them. You know, so I don't know if there was soot all over them or, or, <laughs> you know, I, 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 is it from bombings? Is it from, I just assumed it was from war. But now as things unravel, it's becoming clearer and clearer that it's just 
through sickness. But that's what she saw and when she saw it and she told me, I knew that there was a big wave of death coming. And if we time it out, actually, that was about right when it started. So, there is that. And that brings up a larger question, doesn't it? About life. Now that we're really faced with it, countries are closing their borders, airlines are scanning people, now that we're getting into the Johnny mnemonic of it all, are you scared? Do you wish that it was six months ago when nothing was going on and you had it so good and you could go anywhere you wanted? Are you happy? Maybe this whole thing is about to end? Everybody gets put out of their misery? Are you scared? you don't want to die I wonder sometimes if we'd want to live if everybody else was dead I wonder if there is such a thing as living for yourself loving yourself I understand but I don't know if I can live for myself Is it living if you have nobody to live for? I'm assuming that's why I was so reckless when I was younger. I just didn't care. Didn't expect to live past 27 at all. Didn't even want to. It's like I knew. (laughs) (coughs) Excuse me, drink something. It's like I knew it was over before I even got here. And I kept hitting my head and leaving, trying to get out. (laughs) And then right before the channel, in that travel that I think I've told you guys about, where I saw that city jeweled with, like lined with jewels, the inside of Jerusalem, you know, old Jerusalem, ancient Jerusalem. I had the chance And I knew it, I knew it was my one last chance. Walk through that door and just be gone forever. Somewhere else, you know? But I was standing in that door looking at all those knights dressed in these fabulous clothes and all these jewels and all this shining stuff and this shining city. You know? Excuse me, everything glowing with the light of the ark. And behind me was just all these people, terrified, hungry, dirty, scared, haunted. This misty black smoke traveling between them, whispering in their ears filling them with doubt and fear and worry. And those knights reached their hands out to me, you know, come in. 
Hurry up. Come inside. What are you wearing? And as I reached my hand out, I knew I saw it. <laughs> the hand of a knight. And as I went to walk through the door and grab the guy's hand, that black mist came up right into my ear, right behind me, right up against me, and said, what if it's not real? And I looked at the man trying to pull me into that heavenly city and I said, wait, what about them? That thing is out there with them. Can't leave them. Because then I knew, I knew why they all looked so scared because I heard what it was saying to them. It was filling them with fear and doubt and they weren't strong enough to resist it. I almost wasn't. But I think because I was holding the knight's hand and he was pulling me into the door as it happened, I was able to resist, but it was like it took everything in me not to fall into it. And they didn't seem to care. They, they were like, what? Who cares? Just come in. And I decided not to go. Just didn't seem right. I don't want to travel off to some other world where the Ark has been found and is sitting in the middle of a city somewhere, radiating. I want to stay here and make sure <laughs> that nothing happens to it. I mean, I guess you could call it the end times or whatever, but that's so hyperbolic. It's always the end times. It's always ending. Haven't you noticed that about the now? It's always ending. That's the most exhausting part about the now. That's the part that nobody tells you. Everyone's always trying to get you to live in the now. Take it from someone who can't help but be that way. It's fucking exhausting too, just by the way. <laughs> the conscious community is gonna be like, oh my God, I can't believe she said that. Now you're just in the flow. Being in the flow is fucking exhausting too, all right? Ask basketball players, ask a surgeon, ask anyone who gets into the flow. It takes everything from you. To be in the flow all the time, to be in the moment all the time is to experience a cascade of endings all the time. And a part of you just sits in sadness for what just happened because you know you are so keenly aware that it will never happen again. And even if it is slightly gratifying that for a moment you made some sort of an imprint on time-space because you have that memory, that means you exist, that means that thing happened even though you know that. There is such a fatalism to it because it's over. And it's not coming back. And there's no assurance that it'll ever happen again. What a risky fucking game we play with ourselves when we come here. 
how much we sacrifice, how much we risk just to feel something. Can you imagine giving, being given that prospect as a game? Go into the complete unknown, fend for yourself emotionally, physically, financially, and know that every time you do something that you love, that it may never, ever happen again. That you may become extremely attached to something that you can never have. That you may work diligently, tirelessly towards something that is never yours. Go and risk your self-esteem, your confidence, your happiness, your soul to test what you're made of and see if you're worthy of ascending to the next level. How brave and gutsy do you have to be to want to play that game? And then you want to play the hardest, most evil board, the end of the end of the Kali Yuga. That's where you wanted to come play. That's the board you chose. That is so hardcore. <laughs> like for real, what, if, what the fuck are we doing here? This is fucking madness. I'm sorry, this is going to be a philosophical episode because I don't feel like doing anything else. Things are too extreme. There's nothing left but philosophy when th- people start dying in the streets. What do you want me to do? I can't cry about it. I'll be crying for the rest of my life. I can't shout about it. Nobody cares. Nobody's listening. The world is literally melting down because people are getting the flu left and right. You know, we're such a presumptuous, proud creature to think that it never occurred to us when we wiped out the Native Americans with scarlet fever that it could happen to us too. (laughs) Just because we have syringes, we think that we're like immune to everything. It's insane. But here we are. And yes, (sighs) I will admit that it is quite terrifying But it is in those moments of terror where you face your mortality regardless of how you get there. We're on that road now and there is only one peaceful way to walk down the road of, oh my God, I might die. And that is complete acceptance. With that complete acceptance comes a will to live and a way to live that is unsurpassed. If you are keenly aware that you may die soon, everything changes. Things that really, really, really matter don't matter at all, not even a little bit. You just forget. Things that you haven't paid attention to for a long time become really, really important because they're actually very valuable. I often talk to you about how great I think I am and how much I think I can do this and that, but it's probably time for me to also talk to you about my flaws. That's a big one with me. I tend to distance myself. 
I tend to distance myself from people that are important to me. Of course, there are several astrological explanations in my chart for this behavior. And as such, I shouldn't probably take it so hard. And yet, I think the things we find most painful are the things within our nature that we know we cannot help. It's quite perverse, actually. The more important somebody is to me, the more I have a tendency to push them away. <laughs> it's all very confusing to the person involved. To say nothing of how fucking confusing it is to watch it happen and not be able to do anything about it. On this trip to Jamaica, when we were on mushrooms, Sandy noticed that I deny myself the things that I need. It's almost like I can't get over the fact that I have to admit that I need something. And it, she just said it so nicely, you know, she's just being real friendly, just observant, and she's smart. But it felt like somebody had slapped me, you know? <laughs> it's always quite jarring when someone can see something about you that you can't see. <laughs> And after she mentioned it, I realized how true it was, even down to, you know, needing to drink stuff. And I think that's why I make it a point of saying it out loud. I'm telling myself, too, drink something, you need it. Eat something, sleep. And I think probably for anyone who loves me, it can get a little tiring to watch me deny my and then the two Gemini in my life called one after the other <laughs> while I was crying first Baba and then Sat that's the guy so <laughs> so much for pushing away the people I love I guess that's why it's always the Gemini because the Gemini persist. They know you're pushing them away and they don't care. They're just like, yeah, I see your neuroses. <laughs> I'm just gonna talk my way through it. And surprisingly, it works. Smoke something, fam. It's weird because 
Although I've always identified with the tough cookie in a movie, a sitcom, whatever. I never thought I was one. <laughs> Somewhere between identifying with that character and wanting to be it, I guess I became it and didn't realize. But inevitably, the tough cookie is blessed with the persistent friends, the persistent lover, the persistent family. I project that a lot <clears throat> onto other people because it's so hard for me to see it in myself. It's weird. It's like I know how soft I am inside, so I, d I don't really identify with it. But sometimes I can see myself through other people's eyes and I can almost see a kind of pity in them. It's like they can tell that I can't help it. That's what today feels like. It feels like all the stuff about your personality that you just can't help, all the stuff in your life that you just can't help, just wants to come to the surface and have a little dance, have a little chat, disrupt whatever can be disrupted, fill it with illusions, undermine the foundations of your love, your confidence, your plans. But it's also a day where you can cut through all of that just by being really honest with yourself, you know? Like I just was with you. Can't be easy dating someone who doesn't know they're a tough cookie, keeps accusing you of being one instead. Can't be easy to have a mom that is so, so, so hard to the world and so, so, so soft with you. And I suppose all of you can go through your lives and think of things just like that. And I guess what it makes us all realize is that we are not easy to love and yet somehow people still insist on loving us. Maybe you don't do it as obviously as I do. But in our own ways, we're always trying to sabotage any love or connection that we might have with another. We can't even hold anyone's gaze for very long because immediately the connection begins and we don't want it. We don't want it because it's better to starve not having tasted something than to know that it's out there and know exactly how it tastes and know that we can never have it. And this comes back to the question of playing with your soul. Why enter a space where everything is so tempting? And most of that which is so tempting and so alluring will leave you ravaged why play with your soul that way? 
if not to gain some really, really sought after prize. My feeling is that this is the board of wants And the trick is to play the board of wants by your needs, therefore making your wants obsolete. When you can mesh your needs and your wants into one thing, it seems like the construct begins to cooperate and you can build on your successive wins. But how do we do that? That's why days like this are important because it does bring all the bullshit and misconceptions and fears and worries and ah, ah, ah to the surface and then you can really look at it. And you can see what is it that I need? I mean, I just told you, right? I push people, I push away people that I need. I know exactly what I need, I need people. <laughs> I need people, I need connection, I need feedback. I need affection, attention. What do I want? Not much. <laughs> Not much. I want I want people to be on that vibe that I'm on where I need certain very specific things and that's it speaking of very specific things once again it was my human these days have been rough for relationships So rough, in fact, that some of us in the RevFam have come up with perhaps a few misconceptions about the concept of the fountain. As is our human nature, we try to attribute dogma to anything, perhaps to make it easier for us to follow, perhaps to make it more palatable because it seems more like religion, or perhaps because we inherently desire structure, need it, want it. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't go in for dogma. I don't like it. I don't believe in compulsion in anything. And I have a very, very firm belief that that's not why we're here. I don't believe we're made to do anything or should be made to do anything. And we certainly have no obligation to save our souls if we don't want to. But make no mistake that you play with your soul while you're here. This is where the Christian idea of principalities comes from. Now, if you claim to be neutral on that moving train, that is your prerogative. But if what you wish for is a peaceful, fundamental change, an evolution of spirit and body, Perhaps what you crave is a trans-dimensional experience. Perhaps you are ready to evolve off this rock. 
In that case, realize that the concept of the fountain is just another way of expressing the idea of staying in faith. Also realize that as soon as you add anything to the concept, you poison that well. The beauty of it is that it is so simple and so inclusive. Today on the live, someone asked if individuation is a step away from the fountain. Absolutely not. There is nothing within the concept of what is written for you is only for you and will not pass you. There is nothing within that promise that has anything to do with how you choose to express yourself. <clears throat> the idea that salvation, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, can only a, a peaceful a peaceful life can only be attained through loss of self is false, and it's false to a degree that is dangerous. When you believe that loss of self is what is needed, when you believe that everything is a misery, <clears throat> because it's one thing to believe that the, the dunya, the world, is an illusion. Fine, it's an illusion. But if you believe that it is a miserable illusion, that it is your lot in life, either through original sin or through just the concept of being exposed to maya it makes you sinful, if you believe that, then you're always playing catch-up then you're always working against a guilt that you really had nothing to do with. Now you can understand that the dunya is out there, you can acknowledge that the dunya is there and still live within it and have a great time and still be a pious person and still be at the fountain and still receive your blessings and still be worthy of your blessings. The danger in the idea of lose your ego, be all one without individuation, the, the danger of it lies in... Um, the, the, the workings of the Nazis. What's going on in Myanmar? What's going on in India right now? This is where loss of individuation takes you. No matter how peaceful the concept of a one self or a unity may seem to you, the person is incredibly intelligent. The people are incredibly stupid. The last thing you wanna do is take a concept that is as personal as the fountain and try to attribute some larger mystic, you know, <coughs> kumbaya bullshit to it. I'm sorry, I'm just being real. Drink something. I'm just being very real with you. Because, of course, the temptation is there. We want to take something that is elegant and simple and turn it into something complicated. But no, no, the, the one thing that we have to always strive to get away from that this particular society we live in now has shoved down our throats is this idea that, that, we, that we are somehow bad, that we don't deserve, that, 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 that ego is inherently evil. This is not the case. Your ego is very good for certain things and necessary. It gets you from point A to point B. And if you need to make a ruckus in the meantime, it can do that too. What we do is we use a sledgehammer where we need a scalpel. 
The ego is not meant to do the heavy lifting of the emotional mind. The ego is not meant to, to you know, uh, steer the ship in an emotional relationship or an interpersonal relationship. It's meant to get you from point A to point B. You pick up the glass, you put it to your lips, you drink something. You put the joint in your mouth and you light it. You fucking smoke something. That's your ego. That's that part of your head is just like, okay, do this. Okay, do this. Now, if you tell that part of you, you know, let's say Rosie from Point Break, you set it in motion, it does not stop. If you give that part of you the task to run your emotional life, well, no wonder it's running amok. Does that make that particular tool evil? No, I don't think so. I refuse. I refuse to believe that anything that we're born with or anything that is given to us is evil. People, people are exposed to evil and can and, and can become so. But I, you know, outright, <laughs> I defy this idea that we have an inner working that we somehow um, should hate. No, it's misplaced. That's like hating a spoon. It's a tool. Why, why should we hate a tool? Overused, of course. But relegated to the right area is very useful and, and not at all evil. Right? Your individuality also comes from your ego. Doesn't it? There is a part of you that prefers your shoulders to your legs or your legs to your arms or whatever. And there's a part of you that dresses accordingly. Is that evil? I don't know. You want to go back to the medieval times where you bathed once a year in milk because it was godly and Christ-like? Don't be ridiculous. You know, God, God tells us over and over again, at least in Islam, God says over and over again, take care of yourself. God loves the beautiful. God loves beauty. Take care of yourself. Dress nice. Smell nice. Put your best foot forward. Put your best face forward every day. My, my, what a pressure, isn't it? Of course it feels oppressive. When you're coming from a Western culture where you're taught subtly and not so subtly through Christianity and all the other new age shit, that you wanting for yourself, you wanting to be a self is bad. You've already committed the biggest sin. You want to be something? How dare you? That's very conflicting. Right? That's, that's, that's in direct conflict with what I just told you. The Islamic God is like, hey, go for it. <laughs> Have nice stuff. Dress up. Do this. Do that. Like, yo, it's, it's good. It's good eat things, like have parties, like it's a thing, it's a thing. There is no uh, first feel bad for this and this and this and do this and this and this before you can let loose. The compulsion, again, we come back to that same thing. Because when you're locked into that way of thinking, you're always trying to earn it, right? You gotta repent and you gotta earn it back somehow. God's favor, I mean. What a hellish concept. This being creates you, but is mad at you for creating you. And now you've gotta work double time to make up for the fact that this being that's supposed to know everything created you but is now mad about it. Oh, and it's all your fault, by the way. 
That's completely bizarre. Isn't it? Isn't that fucking bizarre? Of course, if that's the mindset and that's the culture and that's the society in which you're raised, then it makes sense that you would apply that to every aspect of your life. It's your fault. Earn it back. Say you're sorry. Put yourself low, which is very different than being humble. And crawl back into the favor of whoever it is that's pulling your strings at the moment. That's what you leave yourself open to once you start taking shots at the ego and saying things about how individualism is dangerous and how, you see what I'm saying? Now you'd say, well, the ego is the one that wants things. I've already told you there are ways to temper the ego. Focus on your needs. Your ego don't give a fuck about your needs. You can use your ego to get what you need, though. But if you let it run amok, it's just going to do what it wants. See the difference? First, you have to get quiet through the bad times, through the difficult times, and figure out what you really need. Once you've done so, then you can put your ego to work. Hey, ego, I figured out this is what I actually really need. Get to work. And the ego will come up with new and exciting ways to make it possible for you. Perfect use of it. As long as what you need is, you know, a car or a job. or. <clears throat> but if what you need, like what I said, is connection, people, feedback, that's when you say to your ego, Hey, ego, you can take the day off. I got this. Because you are not your ego. If you can observe your ego and talk about your ego, you're obviously not that. And then you put yourself, your frontal brain, your higher self in charge. You tell the ego to take a rest. And you man the ship. But that's difficult. Because you minus your ego who is that many of you may not know because you've been using that sledgehammer forever and you've never picked up the scalpel you don't know anything else that's why you need to get quiet that's why you need to meditate that's why you need to observe the ego that's when you sit in your real self when you sit in that real self, it becomes more and more recognizable to you, like the feeling of riding a bike once you get your balance. Ah, I'm here again. Ah, this is my real self. Hey, real self, what do you need? And of course, the real self will pipe up and tell you in a myriad of ways. Visual clues, dreams, coincidences, and you will know and you can take that information right back to the go-getter and say, hey, figured it out. This person needs this and that person needs that and this is how I make these connections and to make that possible, I may need this, this, and this in the material world. And the ego will go off and run and get it. How wonderful and perfect, huh? So, 
We never want to confuse the beauty and importance of being oneself, one's authentic self, and not trying to live some weird lie of humility. We must never confuse that need to revel in the self with our worthiness, with our promise for our destiny. You can't fuck it up by being yourself by enjoying yourself, by being happy that you are who you are. That's not a sin. And your abundance isn't taken from you because you choose to celebrate yourself. Now, if you choose to celebrate yourself at the expense of other people, you're just an asshole. <laughs> but that's the funny thing about Qadr. That's the funny thing about fate. Your fate is written and what is for you is for you. That, that, is, that is for sure. You stay at the fountain, everything that is for you will come to you at the fountain. It will meet you there. But what if you were sitting at the fountain meditating? What if you were sitting at the fountain reveling in the feeling of just being able to tap into that energy and be there? What if when you were in that space and you knew that you were in that flow, you were just so grateful? Do you think that would change your qadr? Do you think that would change what is written for you? Of course. Of course. So you can change your fate for the better or you can take your chances with what has been written for you. Both are okay and both are possible at the fountain without any fear of being a sinful person for wanting, for wanting. Remember, once you can mesh your needs and your wants, the game is yours. Okay. You guys wanted me to just talk. You said it was okay if I was all over the place, and I guess that's what ended up happening. Let's finish this joint up. Let's drink something and wrap it up. The fountain, the fountain, the fountain. Some practical tips of tips on how to stay at the fountain. Say what you mean without fear. Say what you feel without the threat of something being taken away from you. Nothing that is yours can be taken away from you. That's it. That's not a promise between you and people. That's a promise between you and God. And so it is. Just that simple concept. That's all the fountain is. If you can get that into your heart. Irrespective of how you were raised. And how society tries to tell us over and over again. That if we're bad. Things get taken away. If you can find the faith 
the calm, the quiet in your heart and somehow place in there the message that nothing that is yours can be taken away from you. What is meant to happen to you will happen. Inshallah. That's the fountain. The fountain is the chill space that you wait in, that you enjoy yourself in, that you create in, while the stuff that's written for you happens. It's a place between dimensions where we chill, where the principality war doesn't touch us. It's a step away from the war. It's a way to fight with your energy, not your hands, not your words. The more people that you introduce to the concept of the fountain, the more you're tilting this whole thing back the way it needs to be. And remember, when we started talking today, that's where we started. Why are you here? Why would you choose to incarnate again now? In the end times. Because you got to tilt it back. Why would we all find each other? Why would we bond? Why would we feel so removed? <coughs> Drink something. So distant from society and yet so together with each other. Because we got to tilt it back. There's no external Messiah coming just yet. And do you want to be a blathering disappointment when he gets here? I don't know. I suffer from... Uh, childish kind of love for God. I don't want to disappoint God. To be perfectly honest, I'd like God to be really proud of me. I'd, I'd like to impress him if I could. That's the motivation, really, is to live up to the blessing of being created, to live up to the honor of it, you know? Like you made me and I'm gonna I'm gonna show you that you that you didn't make a mistake. <laughs> you did the right thing by making me. And I guess the only way I know how to do that is to spread that that peace, that that natural gratitude, that glory. You know, to glorify God from a place of purity within is a truly special thing. And every church and mosque and temple you've ever seen in your life is trying to attain that very simple but very magical thing. To want to be better, not for profit, not for abundance, not even for blessings but from the, for the nod of approval from the Almighty. 
perhaps a sigh of relief that there's one more soldier fighting the good fight. That, that's my motivation. You can see why then I don't have many wants. I need my connections to people because I, I need to help. I guess that's why I didn't walk through that door. It was really nice in there, but I couldn't shake the feeling that everything that was so shiny and glittery and beautiful and clean had been bought with rivers of blood. So, here we are on a leap day few days away from a new moon. The moon cycle has begun again. Next board. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. That's the other part of the fountain. There's nothing terrifying about your fate. Embrace it, whatever it is. Pray if you want to change your gather. Meditate, calm the ego. Don't berate it, don't get mad at it. Don't try to get rid of it, soothe it. Understand that you're the one who's been swinging that sledgehammer around. It's not the sledgehammer's fault. Put down the tools and pick up more sophisticated ones. I'm sure today has shown you exactly where they are. Stop breaking things in your life. The Aries moon has a way of showing you where you do just that. For me, that's about trust. I suppose I push people away because if I don't, I'd have to trust them. And that seems almost impossible. My significant other and I have spoken about trust several times as a puzzle that we are working on and looking at together. And today he told me that sometimes when I get scared, I take the entire puzzle and throw it in the fire and completely forget that there was a puzzle at all. And then we must start all over again to trust. (laughs) What a nightmare. 
But what a good example of Qadr, huh? What a good, good example of your fate, of your destiny, of your kismet. That if it is written for you, that someone will teach you how to trust one day and will be patient enough with you to let you learn, then it will happen. No matter how irritating <laughs> and tough you are. Don't worry. I know it seems funny to say it now. Watch Johnny Mnemonic instead and prep yourself for what's to come. They've got the facial recognition makeup. They've got the plague the technology-based plague. They've got the low-techs, basically the revolution. It's a hella accurate movie, actually. So have a look at it. Think about what I said. And remember, Come meet me at the fountain, man. It's all good. I love you. You know this. Sorry I've been so distant. <laughs> I think I've just explained why though, huh? Thank you for being there supporting me loving me even when I crawl into my shell and don't explain trusting me that sometimes I see things I don't want to tell you and so I just disappear. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me the space sometimes to be a fuck up and loving me anyway. I hope I have in my way repaid that by almost never jumping down anyone's throat at all and taking anything that you guys ask me graciously with love and gratitude that you exist. I think we have taught each other a lot by being there for each other, even when we're not at our best, by supporting each other, even when we can't find the way I think this is what they call love. And it seems to has, have everything to do with trust. <laughs> you can't really trust people 
who only love you when things are good, you know? That's not love, that's just a, like taking an exam. That's just like Hollywood. You're only as good as your last flirt. No, love seems to be what happens and what sticks around when you're the most fucked up. The most inexplicable. The most annoying. I guess that's the only way you can trust it. So, like I said, thank you for showing up for me. I guess I pretty quietly over the past few months had a little bit of a burnout and just didn't want to say, you know. Too much of an immigrant to admit I'm tired. And I guess there were a few days in there where I really felt... Tired. Exhausted. I couldn't tell you why. Kind of snuck up on me, to be honest. As someone who can deal with pretty much anything, it's a weird feeling when something just, boom, happens to you. You can't seem to shake it. I kept wanting to work. But my body wouldn't cooperate. And, <coughs> excuse me, drink something. when my body wanted to work, my mind wouldn't cooperate. And I don't think I realized it until I sat down to do the Libra video that I was just so tired and that's all it had been the whole time. I was just giving away so much and I wasn't filling back up. I was doing exactly what I tell you guys not to do. How fun. But I know now that although I feel better and it's over, it proved something to me that you guys stuck with me and defended me and loved me anyway. It proves something to my cynical heart, you know? That you guys love me for me. Not what I can do for you. Which is not to say that I don't love doing stuff. Because I do. I really do. But sometimes... The doing and the doer become one thing and it's easy to forget that there's a person behind the gears, you know?
And you were so not so subtly reminded over the past few months that I am in fact human. And instead of being disappointed or taking it personally, well, except for the Libras, but fuck y'all. No, I'm just kidding. You just understood. It's like you could tell before I could. And like nobody said anything. <laughs> you guys just let me go through it. Which is exactly what I needed, you know? I'm not really good with sympathy. It makes me angry. <laughs> but like, really, really good friend. You just like held space for me. Without needing much of an explanation. And that's incredible. That's really special. You're really special. I mean, I tell you guys that all the time, but you are. You're really special. Not everybody's like that, you know? So thank you. <laughs> I guess the human mind will have to evolve very quickly to keep up with the machinations of something like YouTube and what it does to the brain or to the mind. And I suppose we'll figure it out together. <clears throat> but for now, just know that this road is rolling out behind us. We're making this road together. And of course, at times that is tiring and that's okay. Just as long as we keep walking and keep it moving and keep creating and keep pushing that vibe and keep tilting this motherfucker back the way it needs to be. And if you're wondering, or if you had any doubts of whatsoever in your mind in terms of candidacy and presidents or anything or what I think, I, during the last election before Hillary won the nomination, I volunteered for Bernie on several occasions and wholeheartedly believe in him as a person, in his consistency and his bravery. Uh, I find him to be an incredible person. And for some reason, uh, every time I think about him, it makes me nostalgic and sad that Howard Zinn is gone because somehow I, I don't know, I wish, I wish it was him. <laughs> That's weird, right? And that may seem like it's out of left field, like most of this podcast, but most of this episode, but 
It's not. It's all in the spirit of tilting it back, restoring the balance, letting the Tao work through you. Well, is it enough? Is it enough? Is it enough blood, sweat, and tears for one episode, huh? We've gone through the 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 sadness of a girl in love to the happiness of a girl in love who's talked to the person she's in love with to Corona to Jesus, it just goes on and on. It has to be enough now. (laughs) The next episode will be about Jamaica and only about Jamaica. And by Jamaica, I mean shroomies. Or mushies, as some will call them. Stay tuned for that. That'll be fun as fuck. Until then. There are no words that will ever describe how I feel about you. So until we find an appropriate way to express it, I love you. It's your girl, DJ Nark.